0: I came across an interesting question last week that was posed to Yitzhak Zobrishim, a renowned Talmud Chacham in Bnei Brak. And the question was, a congregation possessed a safer Torah that was tragically plundered by the Nazis during World War II, and then it was retrieved after the Holocaust. As you can imagine, it was torn and it was in poor condition. But after investing funds, the Torah was restored to be kosher again, although it remained visibly battered. Now, there's a concept of Hidur Mitzvah, of course. To beautify mitzvah, we're familiar with that. The Gemara explicitly refers to selecting a well-written, nice-looking Sefer Torah as a manifestation of Kiyom Hidr Mitzvah. The Shiloh was, for this all-important Torah command, to read Pasha Zahar, could this Torah be used, or would it be more appropriate, despite the historical significance of the Torah, given the option, they should instead read from a beautiful Sefer Torah and achieve Hidr Mitzvah while they're at it. Rav attempted to prove that, shall we say, the sentimental value of an item can propel it to mitzvah prominence even in lieu of inner mitzvah. And he cites an exp- inspiring story that's told on the pages of Masechel's Yuma about Nikonor, a man who invested a tremendous amount of money to commission two giant copper doors that would be used for the gates of the base of Middash, but they had to be fashioned by expert artisans in Egypt. And once completed, he loaded them onto a cargo ship that would carry them to Ar-Tisra. During the journey, a dangerous storm hit and the crew forced Nicanor to throw one of the doors into the sea and save the boat. The storm raged, and when they were about to toss the second precious gift he had given so much to create, he cried out in desperation, if you throw this door into the sea, you're going to have to throw me along with it. Of course, very similar to what we read in our parsha about Moshe Rabbeinu, he said, if you're going to destroy Yisrael, leave me out of your Torah. And indeed, his name is not mentioned in the parasha Tetzava. Suddenly, in response to this great declaration of Nicanor, the storm subsides. Even though they were able to continue their their journey, you can imagine that he was forlorn over the loss of the first door. He had given so much for that one door, now it was lost. However, when they arrived at the port, lo and behold, the first door emerged from under the boat where it had been floating all the while, until they reached the shore and they were able to unload both boats onto the dock, onto the shores, and ultimately bring them to the Harabayas, where both became part of the structure of the of Megdash. The Gemara actually records that later, even though funds became available to replace all the doors of the of Megdash with golden ones, they maintained the copper doors of Nikonor to recognize his great Messir's Nefesh, the sacrifice and dedication he lent to create and bring those doors for Hashem. Now from here... Reasons of Zobashim, we see that perhaps sometimes an item of lesser value may be used for a mitzvah instead of a more expensive one when the historical significance lends itself to the cause. Likewise, a safer Torah rescued and restored from the flames of the Shoah carries a unique symbolic meaning that can trump, as it were, hither mitzvah, even using a more finely penned or mint conditioned safer. I'd like to take this one step further my humble opinion, the Psa can be supported not only in the way Reb justifies overlooking the mitzvah, but on the contrary, use of a Holocaust Torah itself brings the thrust of the mitzvah to the fore such that it is enhanced, not aesthetically, not externally, but essentially. Listen to the rather striking words of the Rambam. When he explains the mitzvah of Zohar that we perform every year, immediately before Purim, it's a free translation, Mitzvah 189, Kuf petes 613. We're commanded to remember how Amalek was quick to attack us and to repeat this we tell the story constantly verbally arousing us to battle with Amalek and encouraging the Jews to hate them so that this sentiment is never forgotten nor the spirit ever weakened even as time passes continue the rhetoric to maintain the hatred just as Shemua aroused the people against Amalek before heading to the war against them as we read in the Haftorah today now, the tone is surprisingly sharp. The content may be uncharacteristically inflammatory. On the one hand, the Rambam infuses an emotional purpose and focus into the technical activity in Pasha Zachar that we make such an effort to attend. Perhaps, to support R. Zilberstein's position, the Nazis, whom the Rambam would most likely deem a Mulik for their desire to annihilate us, their imprint was left quite clearly on this Sefer Torah, to unroll it, in shul, For all to see, abused and demeaned, albeit redeemed, is indeed the visual cue that is appropriate in conjunction with the reading to arouse the feelings to be engendered, and are meant to be engendered, by the content of this mitzvah. The image of a tortured Torah, symbol of a tortured people, supports the essential purpose of this morning's mitzvah. But on the other hand, the Rambam beckons us to wonder, one week after a converse threat, the accompanying fear. How are we to understand, in America, what appears to be our own day of hate one week later? What what really is going on here? To be sure, there's no comparison whatsoever to be made. But consider two points. Why does the Torah command us to harbor this undying hate from all? So number one, in B'Shalach we're told that Hashem Himself, until the end of time, will call no ceasefire in this war, milchama Hashem b'amalek midor-dor. That's indeed how our Torah this morning begins. There's an everlasting, every generation, a war that Hashem Himself wages against Amalek. Hashem remembers what Amalek did. He is immutable. We are not. And so we require reminders to stand up against the physical and ideological Amalek of every generation, Their existence perpetuates Chil Hashem, which is everything we stand up against. We are charged at this current time to retaliate with Kiddush Hashem. Not with weapons, not even with torches. But ultimately, if it is God's fight, it remains our battle as well. A friend of mine once quipped, I never use the word hate in the free way that people use it regarding someone they dislike or a food food that's not their taste. He said, I have a cousin on patrol at a base in Chevron, And all he does every day is scouting through his binoculars people who hate us, who actually hate us, who want to destroy us. That is hate. Any lesser content for the word hate diminishes the existential threat that Eretz Yisrael and Am Yisrael face together. Our attitude towards those who want to kill us ensures that we never become complacent or blind to that reality such that we might accept the status quo, and be convinced that there are those that those who hate us are actually victims, and that the Jews are mistreating them. Unbelievable as it is, despite the chain of terror and murder that keeps going every week, there are so many people under that illusion. In the words of Shlomo HaMelech, kein Emotions reflect the heart like a reflection in water. We have to arouse ourselves in this way. So that we will be mindful of the animosity against our people. And for one more reason as well. To inspire Purim, to enter the day, to read the story we know so well, and to think of how it reflects our reality in every generation. Behold, There's always a homo- there's always an Amalek homo- out to destroy us. And when we consider that despite the venomous anger and the insightful rhetoric we hear, the great hatred that is reciprocated towards us. All the more so is the miraculous history of our people, the perpetuation of our heritage, because as harsh as that hatred may seem, Hashem will always be there to preserve His people until the war against our enemies has finally been won.